Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about... Episode 3 of a Wikipedia reading of gravitational waves. Now, I've been interrupted and the wind's blowing away my manuscript that I'm reading through, so that's a little bit tough. I've reprinted out. But essentially, gravitational waves come from any object that moves relative to another. The sort of gravitational potential energy between objects causes the curvature of space. So a heavy object moving, traveling along at a constant velocity causes nothing. A heavy object which accelerates will cause a gravitational wave. Now, uh, we're pretty familiar with gravity, that is, in a direct line of sight between you and the object is also a force. Um, now, and you feel that force with you. Now, the gravitational wave itself uh, is a compression, a sideways force. So you can imagine uh, that force being like a person walking up to you and kissing you, directly on directly your face, or they could squeeze your shoulders or tap you on the head. That squeezing the shoulders and tapping you on the head is what the gravitational wave uh, occurs, uh, occurs doing. And uh, that uh, happens when the mass uh, accelerates towards you. Now, um, oh, it's, it's, I suppose it's, got, it's towards you to the side of acceleration. Within in a particular plane, you get a um, oscillation. Now, because masses are identical and you've got a dumbbell swimming, swimming as swing, it's from the center point of the dumbbell where it's uh, sort of parallel to you to pointing towards you is there. And so, uh, say if it's oscillating at a particular frequency, the gravitational waves, because there's no positive or negative stuff, is a quadrupole moment, it's the actual double the frequency. So if it's spinning at, um, say, <coughs> one time per second, uh, there'll be one mass uh, hitting, heading towards you very quickly every, uh, and another mass heading away every half, half second. So it's one per second, it's got, to, it's got to do half a turn and half a second. Once it's done half a turn, because the masses are identical and there's no difference, there's, it's back to where it was. So that's why it's double the frequency of uh, waves coming out. And the wave um, is a compression of space-time space uh, when you come into it. Now, um, what I'm just trying to understand is that if everything moves, how do you detect it? But apparently it's, um, it's a subsequent little move back and forth. And it actually is a physically different distance. Um, so it's uh, the actual wavelength of light expands over the outside of it and you can detect it from there. So this is, once they realise that gravitational waves did actually work, um, then if they did work, they could be detected. So it's a, a gravitational wave is, the one thing it is, it doesn't do, it doesn't pull you back and forth to the object. It actually squishes your dimensions ever so much uh, to, to come across. Now, it switches the dimensions, but not the light dimension. So I, I find it a little bit hard to to understand. So it can squish optically a ruler um, in and out. 
Oh, excuse me, but yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to get my mind around. Now, there's a different sources of gravitational waves. Now, neutron star. So, essentially, what happens is that a star becomes so massive that um, there's a now. The, the interesting thing is, is that in most stars, uh, there is not uh, a, um, a heating up at, and of the inside and it becomes less dense and therefore floats up. There's no convection inside car, stars. But what is stopping stars imploding altogether is a radiation process. That is, um, You've got two things. You've got the photons streaming out, which has, provides a certain amount of pressure, but also the, um, there's a Fermi exclusion principle that uh, the uh, objects become non-degenerate. Non so, but neutrons can be extremely de degenerate, um, or, or a pair of neutrons sort of air becomes a boson, and they can overlap each other, and a uh, Neutron doesn't have a charge, so the, the major aspect is that once you eliminate electrons, which bulk make everything feathery light, it can condense down to be these neutron stars. And they've seen these neutron stars. I'm going to go about reading that about about neutron stars oscillating around each other. So you can have two. Um, uh, you have a supernova. Supernova can implode, and um, a very important thing about a supernova is that the it happens very quick, quickly. It's a catastrophic event. So in a star, uh, you have fusion. However, if the fusion occurs in the shell and uh, burns in the shell, such that there's a rocket backburst, the star will actually eject out and conservation of momentum eject in. Now if in that process of ejecting in it creates nuclear uh, emission it will create more heat and actually jet more stuff out and create a pressure wave coming in. So um, a star will actually explode. It becomes unstable. Its surface is um, becomes uh, fissile with a surface uh, surface fusion, but it, not only does it do that, it releases energy and it builds up a pressure wave. And if the pressure wave, it's like a detonate, the star detonates. That's what happens in detonation. The detonation causes an explosion, uh, which is triggered by the shock wave. So the shock wave itself causes nuclear burning and it causes ultimate collapse. Now, you part of the collapse is the electron gets collapsed into the neutron. The neutron can't uh, can't <coughs> decay. Now, the, the essential thing of a neutron star: how is a neutron star consistent there? Well, um, the neutrons will would normally decay, but in a neutron star, the electron um, being ejected in a decay is reabsorbed. Uh, so, as soon as you decay. Uh, to be a electron and a proton, it t crushes it back into each other. So if I get an electron and squish it sufficiently hard, it will go into a neutron. 
even though a neutron has only got a lifetime of three quarters of an hour, in a neutron star, uh, that uh, decay process is frustrated that the electron, as it escapes, uh, escapes this, uh, gets pushed back into the proton uh, to become a neutron. So that's the story of a neutron star. Now, let's do spinning neutron stars. As noted above, the mass distribution will emit gravitational radiation only when there is a spherical asymmetric motion among the masses. A spinning neutron star will generally emit no gravitational radiation because the neutron star is a highly dense object with a strong gravitational field that keeps it almost perfectly spherical. In some cases, however, there might be a slight deformities on the surface called mountains, which are bumps extending no more than 10 centimetres above the surface. To make such a spinning spherically asymmetric, that makes it spherically asymmetric. This gives a quadrupole moment which changes with time and will radiate away until the deformities have smoothed out. So, essentially, um, yeah, and so we see neutron stars spinning, which are, are pulsars. So a neutron star which is spinning fortuitously, pointing its radar beam at us, uh, its radiation beam at us, we can see. Um, okay, so um, it would be very interesting if anyone can see a decaying neutron star. Inflation. Many models in the universe suggest that the inflationary epoch in the early universe of the universes uh, when space expanded by a large factor in a very, very short time. This expansion was not uh, asymmetric in all directions. It, if it was, it, wasn't, it may have emitted gravitational waves detectable today as gravitational wave background. This background signal is too weak for any current operational gravitational wave factor to, to, to so detected to observe. And it's thought uh, it may be decades before we reach such an observation. It may be made. Okay, continuing. Inflation. So this is the very first tiny fraction of a second of the entire universe, a very large mass. Um, the uh, uh, mass of the universe inflated from microscopic size to the size of basically a grape. Many models of the universe suggest that there was an inflationary epoch in the early history of the universe when space expanded by a large factor in a very short time. If this expansion was not symmetric in all directions, it may have emitted gravitational detectable waves as gravitational wave background. This background signal is too weak for any current operational gravitational wave detector to observe. I thought to be many decades before the observation is made. Obviously, I'm reading that again. Energy, momentum, uh, and angular momentum. So this is to do with light. Water waves, well, this is true for light produces, um, uh, photons produce uh, energy, momentum, and angular momentum. Water waves, sound waves, and electromagnetic waves are able to carry energy, momentum, angular momentum, and by doing so, those uh, carry away from the source, So, which is actually quite interesting. I could organize a, um, a um, polarization filter in front of an object in space, bolted on, and that 
by absorbing it, it would only allow a certain amount of angular momentum to leak away. The waves carry off linear momentum, and a possibility that is some interesting implications for astrophysics. After two supermassive black holes coalesce, emission of linear momentum can cause a kick with an amplitude as large as 400 kilometers per second. This is fast enough to eject the coalesced black hole completely from the host galaxy. Even if the kick is too small to eject the black hole completely, it can remove it temporarily from the nucleus of the galaxy, after which they will oscillate about the centre eventually coming to rest. A kicked black hole can also carry a star cluster with it, forming a hypercompact stellar system, or in many carry, it may carry gas, allowing it the recall black hole to appear temporarily as a quasar and quasar DSS digital some slurve whatever it is is thought to contain a recalling supermassive black hole so you can actually look up the particular quasar and I'll just say it's J092712.65 plus 2943444.0 Redshifting. Like electromagnetic waves, gravitational waves should exhibit shifting of wavelengths due to relative velocity of the source and observer, but also due to distortions in space-time such as cosmic expansion. Oh, okay, well, this, you know, really there's no difference uh, such as cosmic... Um, this is the case even though gravity itself is the cause of the distortion of space-time. Redshifting of gravitational waves is different from redshifting due to gravity. So, um, you, the, uh, our clocks roll a little bit slow and the, the photon going up. So, if I, if I have a photon, basically, if I have a... Um, Voting photon bouncing up and down a uh, a, a um, in in between two mirrors, it's effectively got an effective mass because it's got an energy because it um, it's it's a shift of energy between the two mirrors going the bottom mirror and the top mirror. So I've got a mirror at my feet and a mirror at my head. The photon going up has to climb out of a gravitational well, so it redshifts. So it's got a little bit less momentum. It's just like an object dropping down. It's got a little bit more thump as it drops down. I could drop an apple or I could drop a photon. In that distance it will still gain additional energy due to shifting and similar to a, um, a ball bouncing in a barrel between two points will change that. Very interesting to look at. Quantum gravity, particle aspects of, and the graviton. In the framework of quantum field theory, the graviton is the name for the hypothetical elementary particle speculated to be the force carrier that mediates gravity. Very interesting. However, the graviton is not yet proven to exist and no specific scientific model yet exists that successfully reconciles general relativity with uh, which describe gravity, and the standard model, which describes all other fundamental forces. Although you've got the Higgs boson coming in there now. Attempts such as quantum gravity have been made, but are not yet accepted. 
If such particle exists, it's expected to be a massless because gravitational force appears to have an unlimited range and must be a spin 2 boson. It can be shown that any massless spin 2 field will give rise to a force indistinguishable from gravity because the massless spin 2 field must couple um, with and interact with the stretch energy tensor in the same way that the gravitational field does. Therefore, if a massless spin 2 particle were ever discovered, it would be likely to be a graviton without further distinction from its other massless spin 2 particles. Such discovery would unite quantum theory with gravity. In that um, special relativity and the Schrodinger wave equation go together, it's just whether you get the macroscopic theory of general relativity. Significance of the study of the early universe. Due to the weakness of the coupling of gravity to matter, gravitational waves experience very little absorbing or scattering, even as they travel over astronomical distances. In particular, gravitational waves are expected to be unaffected by the opacity of the very early universe. In the early phases, um, space has not yet become transparent. So observations based on light, radio waves, and other radiation, as far back in time, are limited and available, unavailable. Therefore, gravitational waves are expected, in principle, to have potential to provide a wealth of observational data about the exact very early universe. Determining the direction of travel of a gravitational wave. The difficulty in directly detecting gravitational waves means that it's also difficult for a single detector to identify by itself the direction of a source. Therefore, multiple detectors are used to both distinguish signals from other noise by confirming the signal is not of earthly origin and also to determine the detection by means of triangulation. This technique uses the fact that waves travel at the speed of light will reach detectors at different times depending on their source direction. Although the differences of a rifle is just a few milliseconds, this is sufficient to identify the direction and the origin of the wave with considerable precision. Only in the case of DW170814, where three detectors operating at the same time event, therefore the direction was precise. The direction of all these three instruments led a very accurate estimate to the position of the source with a 90% credible region of just 60, de uh, 60 degrees, a factor of 20 more accurate than before. Gravitational wave astronomy. During the past century, astronomy has been revolutionized by the use of new methods for observing the universe. Astronomical observations were initially made using visible light. Galileo Galilei pioneered the use of telescopes to enhance observations. However, visible light is only a small fraction of the electromagnetic spectrum, and not all objects in the distance universe shine strongly in this particular band. More useful information may be found, for example, in radio wavelengths. Using radio telescopes, astronomers have found more pulsars and quasars. So, a pulsar is a uh, spinning neutron star, a quasar is a whole galaxy. Oh has made uh, another, uh, other unprecedented discoveries of objects not formally known to scientists. Observations of the microwave band led to the detection of the faint imprints of the Big Bang. 
a discovery Stephen Hawking called the greatest discovery of the century, if not all time. Similar advances in observations using gamma rays, X-rays, ultraviolet lights and infrared lights have also brought in new insights into astronomy. As each of these regions of the spectrum has opened, new discoveries have been made that could not have been made otherwise. Astronomers hope the same holds true for gravitational waves. Gravitational waves have two important unique properties. First, there's no need for any type of matter uh, to be present nearby in order for the waves to be generated in a binary system of uncharged black holes, which would emit no electromagnetic radiation. Second, gravitational waves pass through any intervening matter without being scattered significantly, whereas light from distant stars may be blocked out by interstellar dust, for example, gravitational waves will pass through extensively unimpeded these two factors allow the gravitational waves to carry information about astronomical phenomena before they never observed by humans. The success of the gravitational waves described above in the low frequency end of the gravitational wave spectrum, 10 to minus 7 to 10 to the 5 hertz, an astrophysical source of high frequency end of the gravitational wave spectrum above 10 to 5 hertz and probably 10 to 10 hertz, generates the relic gravitational waves that a theorised to be faint imprints of the Big Bang, like a microwave background. Oh my god, that's so stupid. As at these high frequencies, the potential, potentially possible, uh, it is potentially possible that the sources uh, may be man-made. That is, gravitational waves generated by uh, detected in laboratories. A supermassive black hole created by the merger of black holes in the centre of two merging galaxies detected by the Hubble um, telescope is theorised to have been ejected um, from a merger centre of the gravitational waves by gravitational waves. another story comes to a close. It's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you. May you discover truly amazing things, understand them and tell others. Thanks for listening.